It's a grey and dismal afternoon, but something is going to cheer us up here on Sound Radio. It's Andrew David looking eagerly at his clock. It's coming up to 10 minutes to four on the 9th of December. If you're listening to this, it's just gone five and I've given you the wrong time check. The reason is I'm going to hopefully make contact with the man cave where we'll find bright and fresh and beautiful and lovely in his T-shirt and shorts, because that's what it's like in Woodland Hills. Bruce K. Rosenblum, are you there, all tanned and lovely? I am, but again, I think that's fake news, Andrew, and I don't want our, <laughs> our, our listeners to think that we're handing out uh, misinformation. I must yeah. tell you, I am in sweats. I am bundled up. It's freezing. It's uh, in the low 50s right now. It's dark. It's it's a typical Lincoln day right now. It is, oh, it's yeah. It's cold. It's a little windy. It's, uh, yeah. We, we, again, well, we need we need John Ketley to uh, explain. Well, all this. we had John Ketley. And in fact, if you listen to the Saturday broadcast, of course, John goes before us at seven o'clock and he's been talking about the big storms. We've had Barra and we had uh, Arwen and we've had all sorts of wind and all sorts of stuff here. So um, it really is. It's that time of year. And that leads me into where we're going to go. And I'm going to do a little bit of a not a spoiler alert, but just a a little warning. Um, This is a tough time of year for lots of people. There's all sorts of stuff we could talk about. The huge increase in Omicron in the UK, we're going back to plan B, lots more mask wearing. People from Monday going to be asked to work from home if possible. We could talk about that. But you pinged me a quick message before we did our little pre-chat and said, I'd like to talk about something fairly tough because you and the guys at Starbucks, where you you meet and and shoot the breeze, um, were talking about a really tough subject. And so what I want to say, and I know that if this is going out at tea time, there may be young people listening, um, but hang in with us because this is going to be In the end, I'm sure a very positive, not a very negative experience. So, Bruce, would you like to open up and and say where we're going? Um, Yes, it's 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 a it's a theme that's it's it's kind of a a what would you do situation. Um, And there's going to be two examples and both Christmas time um, examples, because these these examples happen during the, the, the holiday season, as, as they often tend to do. Um, the first one uh, it was started out yesterday morning. It was a typical morning. And, um, you know, we have our, our, our group is comprised of a guy named Steve, a guy named Kim, and myself. And uh, Kim asked me, how was your day yesterday? And I said, well, you know, it was fairly, fairly bland, actually. It was pretty uneventful. Said, well, what do you mean? Oh, I was... Didn't really have anybody to see or talk to after I left Starbucks and uh, went home and watched the Hallmark Channel, some Christmas movies, just to kind of cheer myself up, um, get in the holiday spirit. Um, why, why, why do you ask? How was your day? He says, well, my day was pretty uneventful until I got a call from uh, one of my friends, uh, a woman named Bree, who informed me that she was headed over to her friend Barbara's house because Barbara had called and said that she felt like killing herself. She was having suicidal thoughts. And that put and that put Kim on notice um, because, you know, in, 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 it probably would put most people on notice because in a typical day, we just don't think about that. Right. No, no. You don't you don't you don't you, you're not all of a sudden out of the blue hit with a phone call telling you that someone close to you is thinking of killing themselves. And so he didn't really know. And she said, you know, what do I she said to him, what do I do? And of course, he had the faintest idea what to do or, 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 you know, you could say, yeah, we'll have her call a suicide prevention line. Well, that, that, that's easier said than done. 
she was already in the car. She said she was going about 90 miles an hour at any chance she got to get to this woman's home to see if she was okay. So he said, so he, he said, you drive, get, call me when you get there. In the meantime, he picked up the phone and called Steve. And Steve's reaction was, um, and when I looked this up on, on some of the suicide prevention sites that I went to was actually pretty good information. He said, first of all, tell her to keep her friend positive, give her hope. And then suggest and suggest, don't tell her she has to, but suggest that she consider getting in touch with her doctor and reaching out to to places that could provide the proper resources to help her with her mental health and to attack the issues that are that are really getting to her. And that turned out to be really great information. Um, and, and it's actually um, pieces of advice that they actually give you on, on some of these sites and it, with more detailed things that you can do on some of these sites. And so when she called back, when she had gotten to this person's house, she said, I just got to Barbara's house. Barbara's fine. She hasn't done anything to herself, but you know, she is in a, she, she's had a lot of things going on in her life that have really just kind of taken its toll on her. And so, um, Kim said, well, you know, be positive, keep her positive and, and, and suggest that she reach out to her doctor or, 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 or to facility that can provide resources to help her. And the next thing she says is, well, Barbara's right here and she wants to talk to you. Now, Kim had never spoken to this woman before and didn't know what to expect. And so she got on the phone. She said, you know, uh, you know, hi, Kim. I've heard I've heard a lot about you from Bree. And Kim said, well, yes, Barbara, I've heard, I've heard a lot about you. What's what's going on? And um, he said, but before before we get into it, he said, I just want to tell you. And I understand that things have been going, you know, pretty, pretty tough for you lately, but I admire you. And she said, you admire me. Why, you know, you don't really know me. Why would you admire me? He says, I admire you because you you had the courage to reach out to your friend, mm-hmm. Bree, let her know what was going on in your life. And he said, and for that, I think that you are a, a lot. You have a lot more confidence and you're a lot stronger person than you believe yourself to be. And he kind of got her at that point. And she said, I, I, I never real, I never thought about that before. That, that n- never really crossed my mind. He said, well, he said, well, that's, that's my impression right now. She said, so I admire you for your courage in reaching out to your friend for help. And then she said, un, unsolicited, she says, well, maybe, maybe then I should reach out to my doctor and talk to him about some next steps. And he said, well, then Kim said, well, at, he said, I, he said, not only, he said, I, he said, and I admire you again. He said, she said, she, he said, she said, well, why, why are you admiring me again? And she said, because it took real courage to reach out to your friend Barbara, but it, now it's, you're showing the courage by, by suggesting that you should reach out to your doctor as well. He said, I think that, he said, I think that, you know, you're, you're a very strong person. He said, I would, I don't know that if I would have the, the, the courage to do, to do what you've done, but those are two great steps in helping to, um, to combat, you know, the, the feelings that you have. And, um, and so then Bree, then Bree got back on the phone and, and thanked him and then called him later and said that what he told her, uh, really changed the whole, her whole attitude and the whole tone of, of what was going on at her house. And while he was on, and while she was on the phone with Kim, Bree, Bree was kind of doing a search of the, the place that she lived to make sure there was no, no weapons or no drugs or no alcohol around that she could take to, 
to do harm to herself. And um, and so it seems as though that situation ended positively and that this woman was in a better place and was willing to have her friend help her seek seek the right kind of help. Um, you know, just talking to a doctor isn't always the, the, the answer. Sometimes you know, people will see a doctor and then over time they'll fall back in into that state and, and, and do harm to themselves. But but that's a good first step. And hopefully, you yeah. know, that conversation will get her in, 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 in the right place. But it just it it it, it just makes you think it, it's it's it gives you pause for thought. It's like what would happen if your friend or your relative called? And, 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 and said that to you, how would you react? Yeah. And, and what, and what would you suggest? And most people wouldn't know how to react and wouldn't know what to suggest. So it, it was kind of a wake up call that maybe I should pay more attention to the people around me. Um, you know, on college campuses, students are under a lot of pressure for, you know, parents are pressuring them about graduation and about getting their first job after school and getting good grades and, and, and call, you know, I, I, I know as when I was a college student, I, I felt that pressure. And a lot of kids that I used to mentor would come to me and say, my parents, my parents, my parents, they put a lot, the parents, you know, they just want what's best for their kid, but they don't realize sometimes that it's putting a lot of pressure on. Yeah. And so how do you, how do you deal with that? Who can you talk to to say, Hey, you know what? Don't worry about what your parents say. Everybody has pressure from their parents. Your parents want you to succeed and they want to see their investment in your education pay off. But it's okay. It's okay not to always get an A. It's okay not to always get a B. It's okay to, it's okay not to, to succeed at everything you try. It's actually good to fail once in a while because, you know, because failure leads to you finding a new way to do something or failure leads you in a direction to try something different, um, that, um, that you might not have, have tried before and you, and you'll find that you're very good at, at something other than, you know, what you were expected to be good at. So I, I think that while, you know, and Kim say, basically said after he was done with these conversations, he was he went from an uneventful day to being one where he was physically and mentally drained. Yeah, because it is so sensitive and you're and you have to be so careful in, in, in what you say and how you say it, because you've got someone you've never met all of a sudden is on the phone with you and and you are, you know, you can be the determiner of what action they take and it's, and it's trying. And and so I just thought at this time of the year, when, when these kinds of mental health issues come up and the pressure, not only on school and work and, and, and income, but, you know, with the COVID thing raging and people, you know, everybody, you know, it's a worldwide problem. Everybody is feeling it. And, and we're hearing more and more, you know, horror stories about what people are doing and how, and, and how they're, and how they're venting. You know, yeah. some people are, are venting on themselves and some people are venting on others. Mm-hmm. So it'd be kind of a, it'd be kind of, came kind of a, you know, what would you do in a situation? You know, how could you prevent something? How could you help something? How could you take something that's bad and turn it into something good? And, you, just, just yeah, so. draw, draw a breath for a second. You've, you've painted a phenomenal picture and, and Kim and his friends who went to help, um, <laughs> The person in distress did exactly the right thing. They just went over there to be with the person. Um, sometimes, of course, th- things happen too late. 
uh, and mm -hmm. th the worst thing happens. And in this country, in the UK, uh, there are a couple of organisations. So I, I'll do the alert now. If you're if you're feeling that this conversation is pushing you, that you need to talk to somebody and you don't want to do the face to face, phone the Samaritans. We have an organisation across the country. It's a free phone number. Just phone the Samaritans and there will be somebody there to talk to you. Um, a couple of weeks back, um, I was watching our breakfast telly and I kept seeing about three dads, um, three dads your age, my age with daughters who'd sadly taken their own lives. And they're a sort of college student age youngsters. Um, and these dads, <clears throat> excuse me, set out. Uh, first of all, they wanted to raise money for an organisation called Papyrus. So if you look in the UK at Papyrus, they help a lot with people who are in this sort of situation, particularly young people. And they wanted to raise awareness and they set themselves a modest target. These three dads wanted to, in the memory of their, their daughters, to walk 300 miles and raise £3,000. It sort of caught everybody's imagination because it was, these were just ordinary guys, a bit like Kim, a bit like you, a bit like me, not, not superstars. These were just three dads who had been devastated by the loss of their daughters, um, but were not going to sit back on their haunches, but they're going to do something. 300 miles, three dads, and they wanted to raise £3,000. By the time they'd finished the walk, they had raised a phenomenal half a million pounds. Oh, my. But the interesting thing was, well, it, I mean, that in itself is stunning, fantastic. That is, that is unbelievable. Um, it is. But when they were talking about what it was like to be on the walk, um, something not strange, but in some sense, I'm using the word beautiful and it's the wrong word in the wrong place. But it was beautiful because people would come and walk with them. So part of the journey when they knew they were in their area. And yes, they would want to donate. They wanted to show their support by being there. But the, the father said what was extraordinary was how everybody had been touched by stories in their own lives and indeed by suicides in their own families and they just wanted to talk and so it was the next stage it, it was saying look even if you have gone through this and the worst thing has happened talking and having people to talk to is just so utterly vital it's what we are and as you quite rightly say with omicron and the fact that we're slightly sliding back into more restrictive ways of living and the darker nights and it's cold and wet and miserable particularly in this country and indeed it sounds like in, in california it is tough so kim you're a star thank you for doing what you do and hopefully people have felt inspired by you being brave enough to talk about this subject and also to open it up for us to discuss today. It's Thursday, the 9th of December, and it's just gone four o'clock. You want to take this a bit further because you have a TV program which explores the how far would you go or what would you do in this circumstance? Because this takes us onto a, a story, a Christmas story, which directly affects you. Yes, it did. And um, yes, there's a TV show called What Would You Do? And it places, it creates situations and then it puts the average person into that situation without them knowing. It's kind of a, there was an old show years ago called Candid Camera where they, I they would set up, it, it was meant to be a comedy, but this one is a little bit more serious and it's got a, a, a journalistic and a news bent to it. It takes things that are happening in, in news. So for example, if there was a case of somebody just going off on, on another person in a restaurant, let's say, um, let's say it was a, a somebody 
a person not of color attacking a person of color in a restaurant. So let's say that was an issue with that. There was a case of that in the news in New York where some white woman attacked a young black man, accusing him of stealing her cell phone when, in fact, she had left her cell phone in her hotel room. And it was there. And this young man just happened to have a phone that looked like hers. And she made a mistake and did that. So what they would do is they would recreate that situation. And they and they and they have hidden cameras in the restaurant or in the shop that they're in. And they and they stage a woman attacking a young black man over a telephone. And then they would then they see what the reaction of the people around them are. And sometimes they'll they'll people they'll focus the camera will focus on the people, let's say, eating at the table. And they'll listen to their conversation about what's taking place. And sometimes somebody will actually get up out of their seat and go over there and try to, you know, intervene physically, at which point they have to stop and say, hey, wait a minute, this is a TV show. And then they'll oh, it's what would you do? You caught me. Well, then they say, well, yeah, we did. But why did you get up out of your chair and why did you come over here? What did you think you were going to accomplish? And they would explain what went through their head at the moment. And it, it, it leads against to again to a bigger question. It's like when we meet at Starbucks in the morning with all the things that are going on in the world, all these random acts of violence that are happening around the country and around the world. So what would you do if somebody came into the Starbucks and, and caused trouble, either with a gun or a knife or just having a meltdown? And and now we find ourselves in every situation that we go to, if we go to a restaurant, if we go to a movie theater, if we go to a grocery store, if we go to the Starbucks. We find ourselves looking around at all the people that are in there. And in your head, you're trying to figure out if something were to happen, what would I do? Where would I go? How would I protect myself? How would I protect my fellow man? And those are, and those are, you know, and, and, and if you're a, and if you're a, a student at a school, you're going into a classroom where you, you know, what happens if somebody comes on campus? And, and that's what I'm going to focus on right now because, um, the what happens if somebody comes on campus in Michigan at a, a high school, Oxford High School, uh, last, uh, I think about a week and a half ago or so, uh, a young man got access to his father's handgun, brought it to school and started shooting and killed three classmates and injured another eight on top of that. And this, you know, when that happens, people panic and they run in all different directions and they try to help and save themselves. But there was a, a young man named um, Tate Miles, I believe his name is, Tate Meyer, Tate Meyer. He was a star football player at the school. Um, big guy, um, most likely would have had a football scholarship to the University of Michigan or Ohio State or somewhere. Um, good student, outstanding young man. Didn't run away from the scene. He ran towards the shooter and tried to, to take him down and save his schoolmates. And in turn was shot and killed. And, you know, you compare that to the, the case of Kyle Rittenhouse, this kid that grabbed a assault weapon, crossed the state line, um, illegally carrying a gun across state line to, um, he's claimed to, to protect businesses that were being looted during the, Black Lives Matter marches, ended up shooting, killing, shooting three people, killing two of them. But 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 his his mother isn't held accountable for for driving him there and, and condoning what he did. And the kid is found not guilty on a self-defense charge. And now he's being made a, a, a local hero 
and being put on a pedestal as a role model. Now, who's really the role model? A kid like that who had no business doing being where he was and doing what he did, or the kid that got in harm's way and got himself killed trying to protect his fellow student? You know what? You know what? What's the motivation? What you know? What would you do? What what you know? What went on here? I, I think that the kid that that put himself in harm's way to protect his fellow man and fellow student um, is the is the real hero here, and who's and, and the one that people should be talking about. And I know there's really no answer to that because I was in a situation where that that happened to me when I was in, when I was a young college student. I was you know, 20, 20 years old. It was um, the Christmas 1973, uh, 1974, I believe. I was 20 years old. And I was my first year at Cal State University, Northridge, and, um, you know, a, a BEA member school. I, and you know, all the people that from, from Cal, Mary Schaefer and those people, great people. And I was trying out for the baseball team there. And we had winter workouts. And what it was, uh, uh, after practice, it was a cold day, practice ended. I came home, changed my clothes, and told my mother I was going over to the North Hills Shopping Center, which was about a half a mile from my home, and I was going to go buy Christmas presents for my friends. I parked my car. Now, the the the, the shopping center is kind of a – there's a, a big supermarket kind of on the corner. It's like a 90-degree angle. And then, and then on the straight – then there's a, a, sh- a string of shops, you know, next to the market, a drugstore, a beauty shop. Uh, hair, you know, a barber shop, a clothing store, and then there was an arts and crafts store. So I parked my car and I was walking into the arts and crafts store and I was just about to step up onto the sidewalk in front of the store, storefront. And I hear a woman yelling, stop those boys. They've stolen my purse. And I looked to my left where I heard the sounds coming from and I see two young teenagers, both running full, full throttle. And they were coming towards me. And I see two women, an older lady in a big, heavy black coat and another woman in a camel colored coat, both trying to run and chase them. Had no chance. And they're coming towards me. And I see the purse in the hand of one of the kids. I I don't know what did. I don't know what went through my head. I didn't even think about it. I just reacted. And I started to run towards the two of them and 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 was standing right directly in their path. The one of them was ahead of the other guy and he came at me and, and tried to hit me and I, and I kind of deflected it and I threw a punch and hit him right in the face and he went flying into the parking lot. The other kid, as he was coming, tried to run, as the other kid was trying to hit me, the other guy was trying to run past me on my right. So I was on, the first kid was on my left. I hit him. The other kid was on my right. I reached out, grabbed his arm and, and the purse dropped and I picked up the purse. And now I have the purse and I'm running after the guy with the purse. And the two women are yelling, stop the guy with the purse. He's stolen my purse. And I immediately stopped in my tracks because now I was the guy with the purse, but I wasn't the guy that stole it. I was the guy that got it back. So I stopped. So the kid ran, continued to run. He got away. And the other one, I guess, rolled over into the parking lot, got up and he ran in another direction. Undercover police who were in the parking lot at the time just got driving around, making sure things were okay came up to me and asked what happened. And I said, I, the women's purse was stolen. I got it back. One kid took off to the left. One kid went straight ahead. The, the guy in the, the police officer in the car took off. 
to try to find them. I don't know whatever happened. I'm, I'm sure they both got away. But I had the purse. And then the two women caught up to me. And police cars showed up. And so it, I, I now had to, you know, tell my story. And I, I don't, again, I, I didn't consider myself a hero. I didn't consider myself anything more than wanting to just get this purse back for this, for this woman. That's, that's all I reacted to. And it turns out that she was an 85 year old woman who had flown in from New Mexico to be with her daughter. They had just gone to the bank and withdrew a thousand dollars to go Christmas shopping with. And these kids must have seen her and thought she was an easy target. And they, once she got out of the bank, started walking towards the shops to go Christmas shopping, they grabbed her purse and ran. And so I got the, I got, I got the, um, the purse back for her. And all she wanted to do was give me a reward. And I said, look, simply, I, I said, it's Christmas time. I mean, I don't want a reward. I'm just happy you got to get your purse back for you and to make sure that you're okay and that you're going to, you know, have a great time with your family while you're here. I told the same thing to the police officers. They questioned me and asked me what went on and how to, you know, who, you know descriptions of the kids, the whole thing. And it, it took a while. And when I got home, my mother was livid. She said, you said you were going to be back and we're waiting for you. It's now dinner time. And I said, well, I just saved a woman's purse <laughs> and the police were there. And, and she said, oh, come on, you can come up with a better reason than that. <laughs> don't, don't, don't lie to me. <laughs> and then the phone rang and it was the Los Angeles Police Department calling to make sure that I was OK and to thank me for helping this woman out, and that she wanted to give me a reward. And I said, look. My, and my mother was like dumbfounded. <laughs> she was on the call with the police department and she couldn't believe that it happened. And I just took it in stride. I mean, I didn't think twice about it. And I said, look, I said, listen, lady, her name was Mrs. Anderson, by the way. And we became good friends after that. And I corresponded with her for years, by the way. And, and, and this is going to have an interesting end to this story when I get there and I'll try to make it quick. So I said, look, I work for Baskin Robbins. My dad's a store owner. It's an ice cream parlor chain out here in in, in, in the United States. Yeah. And I said, our our theme is we make people happy. And I said, you know what? I'm I'm really glad that I was able to live up to the mantra of the company that I work for. I made you happy. That was all I really cared about. And I don't need a reward. And I just make you know I just want you to have a merry Christmas and a happy New Year with your family. And that was the end of it. Well. The baseball, you know, the, the, the new year happened. It was now February and base, the baseball practice started at Cal State Northridge. I made the team and we were practicing one afternoon and practice ended. And I see my dad drives up to the practice field and my dad never came to practices when I was in college. So I was wondering, what the heck is he doing here? Something's, something's not right. Are you in trouble again? Yeah, I'm in trouble again. And he's got this box in his hand. And I said, dad, what's going on? He said, you got this package from this woman, Mrs. Anderson from New Mexico, and I'm just dying to see what's in it. So I brought it over here. I want you to open it. So I opened it, and inside were two items. One was like a a four-by-four Navajo Indian rug. They're very valuable, and they're beautiful. And I have it hanging over my fireplace. I know you've seen it a million times when you've been at the house, and you probably didn't really know the significance of it. And she sent me the Navajo rug. She said, you know, I wanted to do something nice for you. You wouldn't accept a reward. 
my husband, my late husband was a geologist for the U.S. Department of Geology, and he, he was stationed on the Navajo Reservation in Roswell, New Mexico. And when he retired, they gave him this rug. And I would be honored if you would, if you would accept it as a gift from me. And it was also, there was also a silver ring with a turquoise stone in it, okay. which I still have. And she said that was a ring that they gave him as well with the rug when he retired. And I would be, you know, I would be honored if you would accept this as a token of my appreciation. And I was like, wow. And we became pen pals after that. And she, when my son was born, she sent gifts and uh, she must have passed away because she was already 85 back then. So she probably lived into her nineties, I would think. But what was in, more interesting than that is that she wrote a letter to the president of Baskin Robbins explaining what happened and how I used the We Make People Happy mantra. And so Baskin Robbins has a store owners conference in Las Vegas in a ballroom with about 3,000 people. And they announced that um, Mr. Bob Hudacek, who was the president of Baskin Robbins, was going to make the keynote speech. My dad is at that conference. He decides he's going to go to the restroom. <laughs> While he's in the restroom, Mr. Hudacek talks about this letter he received from a Mrs. Anderson in New Mexico and about one of our store owner's sons saving her in a, in a robbery and not accepting a reward because he was a Baskin Robbins employee and all he wanted to do was make people happy. And he used that whole thing as his thing, as his speech. My dad comes out of the restroom and everybody's congratulating him. And they're saying, what did I do? I didn't, he said, didn't you hear what, 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 what Hudacek just talked about? He talked about your son and Mrs. Anderson and we made people, you missed the whole thing. Oh no. <laughs> but I received a letter and I, and, and the other night when I was, when Kim asked me about the, the, the Navajo rug, I, I brought the letter out. Mr. Hudacek wrote me a beautiful note stating that Mrs. Anderson had written him and he was going to use that story as his theme, as his main point in his theme, his speech to the store owners. And um, he wished me, he says, I hope that, you, you know, that, that your actions bring you every success in life. And I started to cry because, you know, and I get very emotional about this right now because, you know, you pay it forward sometimes. And I was blessed to have a pretty pretty good life i mean you know we've had our ups and downs but overall it's been it's been pretty good i've met wonderful people I have the opportunity to talk to you across you know how many thousands of miles away are we and i think that you know you know sometimes you know you know what would you do turns into something that you can you get a long you know a long lasting friendship and you get you know a, a something that stays with you your whole life and 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 you know, it's those kinds of things that help you get through the, the tough times, you know, thinking about that. I didn't want any reward. I didn't want any accolades. I was just doing what I what I thought any, you know, person that wanted to do the right thing to help another human being would do. You know, and it, it happened in such a split second, the same way that Kim's life was changed in a split second when that woman called him for help about the suicide. You know, I, my life changed in a split second when this woman yelled out she needed help because she was being robbed. And it's this time of the year brings brings out those kinds of things, unfortunately. And I, I guess the whole the whole point of all of our talk today is just, you know, it's pause for thought. Think, you yeah. know, think about the people around you. Pay attention to your surroundings. Have compassion for for, for fellow humans. Um, 
you know, and, and that's, it's really, and, and I guess that's really what the Christmas season is all about. It's all about, you know, love and family and being, you know, being kind, paying it forward. You know, sometimes, you know, if you, if you buy the cop behind you in line a cup of coffee, you know, you never know, you know, you never know what, you know, what, what, how that will make that person feel, how that will change that person. You know, what? and, and, and I, that's, I didn't want to, I just wanted this to be an uplifting positive because it's, I've, because it's I, good that comes out of all of this. Oh, I can, I can say that I've been sitting here not interrupting because that story is phenomenal. It's all about the random act of kindness. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Let us not, let us leave it there hanging because we're almost out of time as well. But that was a stunning story. And um, now I know the rug and I can see it in my mind's eye. It it has an even deeper and greater provenance. Bruce K. Rosenberg, thank you so much indeed for being with us today. Next week is our last of the year because we've got all sorts of other things to do in the next uh, fortnight, three weeks or so. So really looking forward to putting the call in uh, to ask you to join us for American Cousins this time next week. But for the moment, Bruce, thank you very much indeed. I look forward to, to speaking with you next week. It's going to be our, our show before Christmas. We'll, we'll try to brighten everybody's lives with some good conversation. Andrew, I love you. Um, we're going to take some time off after that, and then we'll come back fresh and ready to go after the new year. And I just want everybody with this Omicron virus going on, just stay safe and healthy up there. Do what you have to do to protect yourself and your loved ones. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you again next week.